Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. Today, I want to touch on a subject that affects all of us, a public service that has become politicized like many others due to the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I want to talk about the educational system. I was going to explain my political orientation at the beginning of this podcast as kind of a disclosure, but I decided against it. I'm a teacher, and I see a lot of waste in our current educational paradigm. Waste is not acceptable, especially government waste. Funds that are squandered could instead be maximized for goods or services that truly benefit all taxpayers. I do believe, however, that I have a solution to our educational conundrum that a majority of the population could get behind. Before I get into that solution, let's talk about what problems I see in our educational system. Right now, things are a mess. Our society leans heavily on our schools to educate and babysit our children. We want to get our country back to work, but we need to offload our kids for the day. However, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And here in Idaho, as I imagine in many other states in the country, parents are having to decide if school is safe enough. Teachers are having to decide if they want to quit or risk their health. School districts are having to decide how to balance the pressure of families wanting to send their kids to school and families wanting to attend remotely. All these issues are caused by the single largest problem with education in our country, which is our one-size-fits-all approach. What choices do teachers and students have if they don't agree with how their school district is handling the pandemic or any situation for that matter? Well, you could move to another city, which I doubt is handling these difficult situations any more competently, or you can call it quits. You can homeschool if you're a parent, or if you're a teacher, you can find another line of work. It's sad that we have so few options when it comes to education, and this deficit is becoming highly visible in our current climate. Let me tell you what I do not believe the solution is to this problem. Spending more money on education. Are our teachers underpaid? Absolutely. I would love to get a raise, and I don't think it would be that difficult to find the money, because we're already spending too much on educating students in our communities. Let me explain. I love numbers, but I'll keep it quick and dirty for this analysis. Here in Idaho... The average amount spent per student annually for education is about $7,800. The average student-to-teacher ratio is about 25 to 1. The average teacher's salary in Idaho is about $48,000. If you include benefits, which I found out are extremely expensive, I don't know whose palms are getting greased here, the average amount spent on teacher salary with benefits is about $65,000. That's seventeen dollars on benefits. Anyway, let's do the math. 25 students times 7,800 bucks a piece is about $195,000. Subtract the 65,000 for the one teacher that's responsible for all those kids, and you have about $130,000 remaining. That amount is per classroom. Let's say you're running an elementary school with three teachers for each grade, kindergarten through fifth. That's about $2.3 million to spend annually on things other than teacher salaries. If we were to use those annual funds to purchase about $500 worth of supplies for each student, like a desk, chair, books, laptop, pencils, paper, the total for all those supplies would still only be about $300,000 for all 450 students. Even if you feed all the little buggers for all 180 educational days at 10 bucks a meal, which should be more than enough to pay cafeteria staff handsomely, that would only be about $800,000. And I highly doubt there are public schools out there that collect 10 bucks per meal. We still have $1.2 million left for building and support staff. Remember, all the teachers collectively are being paid about that much. Where is all the money going? I'll give you my hypothesis in a moment. Now, 
I'm only using the $7,800 Idaho average spent per student to calculate expenditures, but you have to remember that here in the Treasure Valley, the waste is even worse. Many of the districts spend over $10,000 per student. Look it up. Your school district posts their budget annually on their website. I was surprised when my coworkers were surprised when I told them how much money is being spent in their classrooms. And in spite of the amount that's available, districts regularly attempt to pass levies to boost income and spend additional money. These ballot measures usually pull on the heartstrings of the local population because we agree, without question, that more money needs to be spent on education and that teachers' pay is tied to the amount we spend on education. Clearly, teachers' pay is far removed from the bloated budgets and the levies. For example, last year, Fort Boise School was built for $10.4 million dollars. The school is just under 43,000 square feet. That cost is over $240 per square foot, which is about the national average for a school. Those monies were paid out of a $170 million bond passed in March 2017. For reference, the 300-plus-foot Zion's Bank Building downtown Boise was constructed for just under that cost per square foot in 2014. The national average to build commercial office space per commercialcafe.com is about $150 per square foot, we aren't getting a good deal on our school buildings. But I digress. The system in place needs to be fixed. What we have is a monopoly on education and a monopsony on teacher hiring. I had to look up what the opposite of monopoly was, and I found out that it's monopsony, which means one buyer with many sellers. Teachers have limited options on where to teach. Therefore, the schools have less of an incentive to increase wages because the school districts have a near monopsony on purchasing teachers' services. Now, imagine in this current pandemic and topsy-turvy political climate, that our politicians put the people's interests first and gave every student access to all the funding that would have been spent within their school district on their behalf. And families were then allowed to spend the funds on their child's education however they saw fit, whether it be for supplies to homeschool or to enroll in a virtual school, or maybe the family's comfortable with how their school district is handling the COVID situation and they want to send their kid back to whatever public school they would normally attend. Also imagine that certified teachers were allowed to collect those education funds for providing their services directly to students. If families all received educational funds in August and I were allowed to collect those funds from them, I would probably be making twice as much as I do now while providing kids with a better education. That brings me to the main point of this podcast, how to fix our educational system. Instead of executing our education, our government should supply the educational funds. Think health savings account. If at the age of five, children received an educational spending account and were credited $7,800 per year until the age of 18, they'd have a total of $105,000 to spend on education. Wouldn't it also be cool if those funds stayed available for the kid until the age of 25? That way, whatever amount saved after high school graduation could be spent on college education. Also, we're technically not spending any more on education than we would be. We're just giving families access to the funds and flexibility and choice. The next key is to allow certified teachers to collect education funds tax-free. The reason I say tax-free is I think it's asinine that teachers pay taxes. Taxes are collected to pay government employee salaries, then those salaries are taxed and put back into the system. It's like a snake eating its own tail and it pisses me off. Finally, we need to allow teachers to teach how and where they like. Too many people blindly support buildings and institutions. 
Sure, it's great that you wore whatever animal on your football jersey in high school and that you want your kid to be the next Badgers team captain. We don't all want to pay for the handful of athletes. If we simply gave families the money to spend, allowed certified teachers to collect the funds and teach out of a garage, for example, we would begin to see price controls, competition, and much less waste. Let me share how I envision this educational utopia. First, let's start with primary school. Imagine you have a five-year-old that's ready to start learning her numbers and letters. Let's say you work nine to five and you want to save on daycare. Well, you hop on whatever website that ends up reviewing teachers and educational institutions, ratemyteacher.com, Google, or maybe even Yelp, and you start looking for facilities that specialize in early education that are open and have activities until 5 p.m. You find several options, but decide on the one that charges monthly so you can test out their services before committing to an entire year. The total is about 600 bucks per month, and educational supplies, lunch, and snacks can be purchased on-site. The facility is open year-round, and upon talking to their admission representative, you realize that you can get your daughter well into what we now currently consider a first-grade education for under your $7,800 annual budget. You calculate that if you can keep this pace at this price, your daughter will be ready to begin college-level courses at the age of 16 with $6,400 of educational funds saved and another two years of $7,800 deposits coming in. Hopefully your kid will be able to graduate with a bachelor's degree and minimal debt. Now imagine that you're a high school teacher that teaches advanced English. You're working at an educational facility where you have gained an incredible reputation for your skills as a teacher and your ability to motivate students. You're annoyed at the company you work for because you feel that your skills are worth more than your paycheck. After your request for a pay increase is denied, you decide to recruit three coworkers to join you on a business venture. These three teach math, science, and history at the same company, but are also frustrated with management. The four of you find a fairly inexpensive office space near the place you work now, so you all decide to bite the bullet and go into business for yourselves. You decide that your educational model will be to focus on advanced concepts in the four core subjects, and you will only enroll top students that meet whatever qualifying criteria you decide on. Five years later on, your new school is turning away students left and right, and the place you left is struggling financially because they can no longer compete with your business and another that was opened by several other frustrated employees. In the meantime, you've got over 100 kids in your school. You're only charging $5,000 per year for each kid, which makes the families happy because they can bank more money for college, but it makes you happy too because your quarter share of that half million dollars after expenses in your quaint but cheap office space is over $100,000 per year. Now imagine a pandemic hits our country, and instead of entire communities of parents and teachers bombarding school meetings with pitchforks trying to push their own personal preference on the entire community, teachers, students, and families operate in their own comfort zone, whether that be online or in person. Now I admit that educational utopia would take a long time to achieve. If families suddenly had access to all of their educational funds, we would likely have schools that charge that exact amount every single year in their neighborhood. Think of the school voucher system. It would be initially just as wasteful, as most parents would probably enroll their kid at their local districts to begin with. But once people learn that education isn't about a building and a mascot, and some of those brave actors took the first steps outside of the existing paradigm, eventually we could begin to educate our kids more flexibly, more thoroughly, and more successfully. Because consumer choice is what drives invention and innovation in any market. We have a system that has been in place for way too long. Large and highly specialized businesses don't adapt well to change. Think of brick-and-mortar stores that have been devoured by Amazon. Think of theaters that were already struggling before this pandemic because of Netflix. There is no reason our educational system shouldn't be flexible. But it isn't. Look at how slow our schools have been to adapt to technology. 
the dot-com bubble happened in the 90s. Per IdahoEdNews.org, earlier this year when the pandemic started, half the students in Idaho didn't have remote learning devices. Education is crucial for individual success as well as the success of our nation as a whole, and we've allowed it to devolve into a wasteful bureaucracy that overworks teachers and underserves students, and this inefficiency is due to a lack of choice. I wish I knew someone you could vote for that supports this idea, but I'm not sure any politicians have noticed it, which is odd, especially considering Idaho's biggest governmental expenditure is education and our legislature is full of so-called government minimalists. And I would imagine a vast majority of the population would be in favor of putting educational funds into the hands of families. But alas, our educational system has already grown into a giant tumor fed by a slow and steady money supply sourced from apathy and its own inertia. But on the bright side, this tumor is still mostly invisible. Thank you for listening to Treasure Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Also, tell your friends about us. Podcasts are still spread word of mouth, so use those lips and rest those fingertips. That was a reference to verbally telling someone versus using your phone to send a link. Thank you.